Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran-Connor. We know... What are you doing? Go ahead. (laughs) We know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency, Jennifer Beck Communications, AKA JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Today, we're so excited to be speaking with the arrivals, Jeff Johnson and David Hauser, otherwise known as the creative and business forces, respectively, behind one of fashion's buzziest outerwear labels. Before co-founding The Arrivals in 2014, Jeff was working in Amsterdam as an architect and looking for an opportunity to try his hand at design in a whole new way. So without formal fashion design experience, he linked up with partner Cal Buffuri and his partner David to start a new kind of outerwear brand that succeeded in equal parts form and function. Having launched with just nine pieces for both men and women, Jeff and David have since scaled The Arrivals into an expansive range of new categories, including clothing and accessories, and they've doubled down on their commitment to create unique experiential retail experiences for consumers all across the country. Welcome, guys. We're so happy to have you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having us. It's good to virtually connect with you guys. I will tell you, this is one of the first times it's like the hair club for men. We're not just interviewers. We're actually customers. Melissa has been obsessive about your brand i think since the day you launched oh and <laughs> i would say every single fall i get a link and the subject is if anyone wants to buy me a present and <laughs> yeah. when you click on the link it's like four codes from the arrivals so um you're part of our vernacular we know you guys yeah. very well we're huge fans amazing well awesome to connect guys uh the intro was already a nice little flashback for us it sounds yeah i believe and it sounds like you guys have had an eye on us so absolute pleasure to connect even you know given our current circumstances i know so this is another remote recording via zoom um which is really interesting for us and actually i kind of love it it's a really nice break to the day uh to kind of connect with folks outside of my team as much as i love the team but it's great to kind of do this and have it as another creative outlet how have you guys been faring during the current crisis? Your teams are, I would imagine, are all remote, and your partnership is obviously remote at this point. So how's it been so far? Yeah, David, I'm sure you know we can probably attest a little bit to just the fact that maybe we've had a, a slight one-up on this for the past year. Um, so you know, as you guys know and mentioned, we founded and launched the arrivals in, in New York City in, in 2014. And the entire team and business has been, you know, located in, in New York City for basically up until the beginning of 2019. And earlier, I guess last year, I actually moved out west and had been embracing kind of the bi-coastal dance. Um, so basically, like once a month, um, would travel into New York, work with a team, work heavily on like product fittings, creative projects. But this whole remote work reality is something that like. You know, I've been kind of hunkered down in a home on the other side of the country for quite some time. And so I think like for me, it almost feels like that learning curve started Mm -hmm. a year ago and now it's okay. How do we interface with the rest of the team? Um, I think working on digital projects and digital creative projects and a lot of the business ops is actually like, it's amazing just how fluid 
you know, the tools and kind of the connectivity is. I think it's when it comes to product specifically, the physical garments, I'm not going to turn my computer to the left or right right now, but there's boxes of clothing and doing fittings on my wife who is eight and a half months pregnant. And, but yeah, I think, you know, there are things in which, you know, our COVID realities that just the technologies that we have, it's been kind of surprisingly, again, fluid. And then there's like the physical components that you have to get really creative around. But yeah, David, what's... So David, you're in New York. We're we're still in New York. And and we, I think sort of part of our ethos from the beginning was leveraging technology to empower our decision-making across all the business verticals, whether it's the creative side or the finance side or the ops side. And so now it's really trying to double down on those platforms to figure out what provides the greatest sort of efficiency. Um, The piece that we're still figuring out is on the culture side, right? Um, We have a really small team and we really consider each other, you know, family members to an extent. And so um, it's it's hard to replace those in-person happy hours um, or one-on-one sessions. And those are the types of sort of communications that we've tasked our team with to be a bit creative and figure out during this time, how can we sort of maintain our culture and and the fun part of of the business. And how small is small for your team? Like how many people are we talking? Uh, We're under 10 people full time. Uh, We have amazing partners across our ops and finance teams that we work with, but um, we've always believed that it's super important to maintain as much control over the brand and business as possible. And in order to create a really sustainable business, Um, We've taken a long-term view, which is let's hire really amazing rock stars and empower Mm -hmm. them to really be leaders of each business vertical. And so when we talk about sort of responsibilities, it really comes linearly um, from each other rather than from the top down. uh, And that, you know, keeps us all in check. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So Jen and I have also been doing the bi-coastal relationship thing since last August because she relocated out to LA and we have our kind of tips and tricks of like how we've made it work but since you guys have been doing it for just as long if not longer curious when you made that transition what were some of the best practices you put in place to make sure that you two are always in sync like what's that dynamic like and how is it different sure so I think consistency is super important Um, so making sure that whether they're weekly check-ins or team all hands uh, that there's a specific sort of time and date um, that everyone sort of adheres to and just really um, empowering the team to understand what works best for them. So instead of Jeff and I saying, hey, guys, let's communicate via email or Slack and have these one-on-one check-ins, what works best for you? And let's figure out uh, how to work together on this. And are you two as partners constantly texting, emailing, you know, are you, or is it, no, we have a little bit more structure than what Jen and I do, which is literally gchat slack email text facetime i mean we kind of are all over the place we're we're trying to streamline it lately i will say moving out here has forced us to streamline our communication a little bit more whereas in the past we sat next to each other for six years and could kind of finish each other's sentences now we've had to put a little bit more structure in place how do you guys the two of you communicate how often do you even talk to each other during the day david and i are in communication early, I would say, right? But I think, you know, one of the interesting things is like this kind of deformalization of the communication tools that we have, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
a few years ago, yes, we still had Gchat, but it was like, it was email, right? Or a phone call. Now with the introduction of platforms like Slack, like there's just so much opportunity to have, again, fast, fluid conversation. And so I think even to David's point, it's like, how, how do we implement that sense of structure? So I think, you know, when we're at our best and I'll disclaim that this is not every single day or every single week, but like we are sending each other weekly updates. This is what I'm working on this week. These are kind of like how we're focusing with the team. And these are the deliverables that you know we want to have completed by when. It's also one of these creature habits where it's like, you know, we're shooting off texts or we're sending each other mm-hmm. you know, all the time. Um, but I think, yeah, like as we kind of hold um, you know, ourselves accountable as kind of team leaders and working with the team to implement that structure. I think we're also working to ensure that like we're operating by that same you know, manifesto in a sense, yeah. creating a sense of structure, discipline, and, and really kind of like adhering to that. Um, yeah. What are the rules around what related to time difference? So, you know, in our case, I'm starting the nighttime routine with my toddler at five. So like, from five to seven, I'm blacked out. And Jen, you know, that's the middle of her day when she's like in her fastest mode and sometimes has to remember Melissa's probably not paying attention from for these two hours, but then I'm back on, you know? So, you know, we've had to figure out that kind of dynamic and, and that'll change with you as you have a child. So I know. We were, we were literally thought about it? talking about this, but I think like something as simple as literally we keep our calendars up to date all the time but you know the in terms of like the bigger question of east coast west coast three hour time difference like we're kind of available all the time my day starts a little bit earlier and my assumption is that by like 7 p.m it's 10 p.m over on the east coast yeah. but like i think what's interesting is again our, our kind of new covid reality like people are starting to kind of define work hours that are more aligned with just like their daily kind of structure and so mm-hmm. it's like some of our team members are like I like working from later in the morning till late at night right and that I'm like that's great because I can now you're on my schedule um, so there's a little right. bit of ability but I think like having a single optical tool a la google calendars has been like just a really easy way to track that and kind of mark out like I'm available or unavailable. Yeah. I mean, I think the reality of what's going on right now with the pandemic has kind of opened our eyes to what the workplace could be or how maybe more efficient certain people can be or, or productive. Um, So it's really interesting that you say that some folks have said, Hey, I want to work a little bit later in the morning so I can be up a little bit later with you or, it just makes it just works better for my personality. It is a little bit more to juggle though, because for us, for example, we have a lot of moms in our office and we all have naps now that we have to deal with. And I really have to pack as many meetings and calls into a two and a half hour period as possible while she's sleeping. But I'm also someone who's happy to be working at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. It doesn't bother me. So I think the reality of what we're facing right now will change the workplace and allows us as partners to realize how well we work together, but also how the rest of our team does. And I think it like to your point, David, around culture, like I think it's a really interesting point in which, you know, when you have a physical space, you're able to kind of curate a, a lot of the experience, right? So you know, what are individuals focusing on? What are they not focusing on? Um, mm-hmm. What is kind of the team culture and almost like these soft activities that you're able to kind of incorporate or sprinkle on. But I think like 
again, as we pull away from these physical environments, like those experiences are, are harder to control and it, it relies then on us to be innovative. And I think like I'm having this conversation in parallel, even talking about, okay, digital or e-commerce or DTC brand versus a retail brand. You know, in the past, retail brands were, or brick and mortar was able to completely control an experience as you walk in there. What does it look like? What does it feel like? Um, it's a really a fully immersive experience. And e-commerce brands for the past five, 10 years have been trying to find more and more ways to replicate those senses. And now our workplace is now transformed to like mm-hmm. e-commerce workplace. I don't know. It's just like a fascinating kind of paradigm shift that I think will have lasting effects. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. So one of our typical questions is asking how you guys have navigated a particular challenge together. And I feel like, I don't know if maybe COVID and what's going on right now is probably your biggest challenge. It seems like you're navigating it well together, but is there any kind of like tips or like tried and true approaches you guys have found in your time together as partners that has worked when you're trying to figure out, like we have a challenge that we're faced with. You guys kind of are left and right brain with your scopes. How do you work through those kinds of problem solving, I guess, together? It's, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, Jeff and I try to practice sort of radical transparency. And so I think communication is a big anchor to the success of a lot of these projects is just being clear on what our intent is for, for the activation or the project uh, and how are we tracking against those goals. And for us, every day feels like a challenge. We're often motivating the team to do things that we ourselves haven't done before. Um, and so it's figuring out through that process with these long, more long-term goals, how can we create really uh, smaller wins within that process to keep momentum uh, and keep excitement on, on a specific project? And so I think communication is important, but also being able to have these smaller wins before we reach, let's say, the North Star is important for us. Something, I just wanted to take one quick step back. I think something that's very interesting about the two of you, and we've interviewed quite a few co-founders now, the majority of co-founders we've interviewed have come to the table with very similar skill sets. And something they've struggled with was we both do the same things. How are we going to divide and conquer as we grow this business? Um, because they were friends first, or they were roommates first, or they had an idea in business school together. You guys actually have very different backgrounds. And correct me if I'm wrong, but different skill sets. So what I'm curious about is, are you each hands off in the other person's kind of world? Or do you kind of bleed over into that person's um, jurisdiction? Yeah, I think it's a constant practice of like, trust, respect. And then there's also like a component of, yeah, David, as you mentioned, transparency, but like kind of an un- unflappable nature with the understanding that like both of us have the best intentions for everything. So like, you know, if you both have the same skill set, maybe you're being redundant, you know, maybe there is a difference of opinion because you're both focusing on the you know same thing and you think your way is better or, it, you know, the other is incorrect. I think for us, every project that we're working on, we're still completely in communication, right? So whether it be an email blast, an upcoming photo shoot, um, a new product line direction, or, you know, okay, this is how we're working on production or thinking about like the the next six to 12 months of financing, like David and I are completely in communication. I think the kind of responsibility that we both have is, is having an open ear to, 
Do you, mm-hmm. Because ultimately, like, David's looking out for, like, the well-being of this entire thing, as am I, right? And so I think, like, you can get into the, the challenge of, like, I know this better, so, like, let me do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of naive, ego-driven response. And I think, again, we're at our best when there's an opportunity to just, one, either clearly articulate our position. And, and ultimately, it's just how you approach these things. Like, I know, you know, one of the questions is, like, how do you see, or, like, one of the topics that we were kind of touching on earlier is, like, is how do you view this relationship? And I think, you know, it's a professional relationship. It's a partnership. And, like, a lot of times it does feel like a marriage, right? We're commuting mm-hmm. every single hour of every day. And so, like, all of these same kind of personal and behavioral instincts, like, those are extremely important to kind of the, the health of the relationship and partnership. And I think a big piece of that is, like, how we communicate also kind of transcends down to the team. But, like, I think you know, this will continue to evolve. In two and a half weeks, we're expecting our first child as well. And, you know, I think it will be interesting just to see how that plays out. Yeah. Where those kind of boundaries begin to kind of form. Yeah. If you need tips, you can give me a call. (laughs) Um, I have a kind of loaded question. And it's not necessarily about your partnership, but I'm curious about uh, the arrivals as a brand is obviously at JVC, we work with tons of DTC brands and a lot crash and burn. Um, And you guys have not only, you know, stayed alive, but you've persevered. And um, I think the design keeps getting better and better and you keep hearing more and more about your brand and you've clearly become a leader in your market. What do you attribute that to when you watch all these startups kind of coming and going. And frankly, they have great concepts and they have great teams. I just feel like, especially in the fashion area and and in retail, it's, in my personal opinion, even more difficult and such a saturated market. What are some of the reasons or who or why have you guys not only persevered, but just you're doing so great? Yeah, I know. I told you it was a loaded question. Yeah. Jeff and I are both silent. It's okay. I I was waiting for David to jump in, but I think like part of it is we're, we're really trying to straddle kind of a product need. And so from just kind of a business operations perspective, you know, I think there is a inherent kind of contemporary fashion feel to the arrivals as a brand. But, you know, what we're really trying to do is, is blur the line between, hey, this is a relevant and contemporary product um, and brand, but ultimately it's a product that people really need and it's function driven. That was part of our ethos or our part of our mission in 2014 when we launched the business. I think understanding that, you know, the outerwear landscape was kind of almost bifurcated between kind of low-end fast fashion, kind of high consumption pieces that were low quality and were probably purchased, discarded, and repurchased year after year, which goes into a whole nother kind of responsibility and sustainability tangent. But um, on the other side of the equation, you have kind of your high-end luxury um, products that were a lot of times unattainable. And so I think being able to identify that product market fit that is really rooted in products driven by necessity and functionality, but you know, also really incorporating kind of a contemporary tone of voice, a contemporary overall brand ethos that's able to more closely align with, I think, a younger demographic, whereas, say, maybe these kind of outdoor top of peak brands um, are not really speaking to kind of a young 
urban or kind of city-based community, it felt like that was a huge just void in the market and a huge white space. Mm -hmm. I think like for us, the challenge is always is how do we kind of balance that? Okay, like we are an outdoor brand and we're rooted in these core principles of functionality, of protecting people, of delivering great product. But at the same time, we have to be like hyper relevant in terms of our aesthetic to make sure we differentiate ourselves from the Canada Gooses and the Patagonias, et cetera. And so I think like that kind of dance is what keeps us, I would say, sharp and, and keeps us continuing to push ourselves in terms of innovation and maybe the byproduct of like why we're able to, as you said, persist and thrive in this. Um, ultimately, we're trying to create a product, build a community and tell a story that's rooted in, in kind of functionality and great product and great experiences. So um, the I other think- thing too, and, and I don't work at your company, but as a side note, and I don't even do PR for your company, but you're one of the few outerwear brands that focuses on fit, which I think is something that I find has been missing when it comes to jackets and coats is especially for women, you put them on and you do not feel your best because they don't fit your body well. And so you're kind of lost in them. Whereas I think you guys, when it comes to outerwear, have a very, it seems distinct eye and and focus on how the jacket actually fits your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that we're working so closely with our design team. And again, our, our demo is, it ranges throughout the year, but um, on average, I would say it's about 70% female. And so recognizing that, you know, fit kind of style lines need to really kind of stand up to the trends, the preferences that the majority of our customer base has. I think you know, an interesting conversation that we've had internally is just from a design process. Um, So many of the outerwear brands kind of started as almost hardcore mountaineering brands Mm -hmm. first, and then are kind of adopting kind of a a broader customer set. But I think in a lot of those scenarios, there's almost a blueprint of, okay, this is the perfect men's jacket. Now let's kind of add some quote unquote princess style lines and, you know, sell this as a women's style. And I think from Mm -hmm. perspective, we're really starting at the root of what does our customer really want, right? And, and making a piece specific to that. So yeah, I think fit is extremely important to us. Um, that kind of blend of functionality, but also kind of making sure there's a contemporary identity that really relates to the design aesthetic and lifestyle components of our customer is extremely important for us. Yeah. So it seems like, obviously, I mean, we're fangirls, but, but it seems like as from a brand perspective, the Arrivals has never made a mistake and you guys have done everything right. <laughs> but there has to be something that you would consider a mistake that I would assume that you obviously overcame or whatnot, but there's got to be something. Did you overbuy in a jacket that just wouldn't sell, but then you found some really smart way to sell through? Can you just tell us a little bit about a, maybe some sort of stumble that the brand has made or that you guys have made together, but have obviously, you know, come out on top on the other end. I would say, you know, there are challenges that we face every single day. So it's from exterior optics um, to hear that is both flattering, but I think, you know, for us, there have definitely been scenarios where we're like, okay, we did not hit that KPI or there was a mistake made or, you know, certain expectations that we had by a certain time of year were not met. I think one of the things that just comes to mind and it's kind of, I guess, relevant given our COVID reality and shelter in place and mandates that we're experiencing right now is our temporary retail strategy. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. 
my background as an architect for years. We launched the arrivals in 2014. It was 2016 when we first kind of tested this pop-up strategy. And that was like an itch that I was so excited to scratch. And I think from that physical experience, the next question has always been, hey, when are we going to open up a permanent flagship? And in the past 12 months, you know, we had been discussing like, hey, should we actually open up a permanent store in New York City? And we never just got quite to that you know, place where we were able to make that commitment and able to, I guess, just pull the trigger on that operation. And looking again at our reality today, like the fact that we kind of maintained a steadfastness to continuing to operate these seasonal pop-ups when our product category is hyper-relevant and to have that be kind of, again, a temporary experience that does not last through the spring and summer. That is something that we did not have to shut our doors on a permanent retail store. We did not have to furlough, uh, you know, a huge or you know, lay off a huge kind of segment of our team that we recently built towards brick and mortar. So that's something where to say it was a failure, maybe, but I think rather it, it's kind of a an example where we got lucky, right? Um, where in any other circumstance, I think diversification of brand is something or. Di- Diversification of distribution channels has been top of mind and top of conversation in e-commerce for so long. And in this particular reality of COVID, like the fact that we maintain our website and e-commerce channel as our as our flagship and kind of did not get our all of our ducks in a row in order to open up a flagship this year or, or Kind of feel confident in making that decision, you know, and it's almost a, a failing upwards scenario. Yeah. But I think, again, it, it does come down to a bit of luck, right? And in, in yeah. any other reality, we may be worse off, but in kind of the place we're in today, we're very thankful that we don't have to kind of deal with that additional challenge. We find ourselves saying that quite a bit as well. would love to hear from each of you too. So, I mean, honestly, it seems like you guys have a really strong and great partnership. Every time we do one of these podcasts, Melissa and I kind of walk away and we're like, oh, like we need to be more like that. But would love to know, because I think a lot of young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that are starting out that are potentially looking for a co-founder or maybe going in this alone, what is advice that you may give these people um, in regards to looking for a co-founder? What should they be looking for? How? Do, what's the best advice for how they communicate with each other? Like what's one kind of hot piece you could offer them? I get this question a lot, particularly on the investment side when yeah. speaking to entrepreneurs looking to start a business. And they always ask the question, should I bring on a co-founder? Uh, and my answer is always yes. And I think I think the reason is because while any one individual can overcome really hard obstacles, uh, when you have a partner, you're able to overcome those obstacles a lot quicker and more efficiently, which just means you have more time to focus on your team or the core business. And so the problem solving uh, process is, is a lot more efficient, we found, when you can actually talk it out and decide on a decision much more sort of rapidly. And the sort of obvious answer is it's just more fun, right? You're in the trenches with uh, this person for the good and the bad. And uh, really only your team members understand what you're going through. And so the cliches of the startup world, I think, hold true. The highs are really high and the lows are really low. And when you have someone you can enjoy the highs with and and, and more importantly, when you have someone to help overcome the lows, it, it just means you're 
you have more time to, to get back to your core mission. So when you're advising these people to look for a co-founder, is there one thing that you're telling them to look for? Is there one quality is? Yeah, I think on the face of it, it's someone who thinks differently than they do, right? So that uh, from a tactical perspective can mean different skill sets, right? Like Jeff and I come from very different backgrounds and even our vernacular, which I'm sure you guys are can tell from this conversation is different. And so I think it, it's really important to have that sort of check and balance from someone with a different perspective and someone who's, uh, again, radically transparent, someone who uh, is able to uh, tell you what they're feeling and, and able to talk about how uh, they feel about a certain situation or problem. And once you have sort of that communication stream uh, solidified, then all problems have solutions. That's really great advice. Damn, you guys give anything to add? <laughs> Any different yeah, advice? Uh, or? Do that, Jeff. <laughs> We're also very competitive. Uh, Jeff, Jeff uh, was a former pro cyclist, and I come from that world too. And so on the weekends when we try, when Jeff was in New York, we, we uh, used to go for rides, which was a nice way to sort of bond outside of work. But we were certainly very competitive. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the piece that I, and I guess I'll start, David, with our relationship first and, and see if it somehow evolves into advice for others. But, you know, I think the piece that I really appreciate is like the good, the bad, like we're both able to pretty quickly, objectively realize like that there is constructive intent behind all of this, right? Even though things can be challenging in kind of founder relationships, the fact that we are still able to learn from each other on kind of a daily, weekly, monthly basis, like those are my, some of my most rewarding moments where I'm like, man, this is challenging, but like David's thriving right now, right? And like the way he's able to communicate, like this is something that like conjures a level of, of respect. And so I think, you know, in doing that, like looking for a co-founder or a partner, um, someone to kind of build, launch a company with. What is kind of that ability for both of you to be open to other perspectives, kind of a person's patience, and ultimately like the individual's willingness to kind of maintain a focus on those core goals of the brand, the business, and vision. But yeah, I think it's something, again, like any relationship, it, it takes patience, it takes time, it takes kind of an open mind kind of understanding what type of person you are and, and what complements that. See, that was also very awesome. good advice. That was uh, really good advice. Um, well, we are coming up on our time with you guys, but we have one more quick thing that we need. It's, it's fun. It's not anything related to being partners. <laughs> it's actually just fun content. It's called the Ship Final Five. We are going to ask you five completely random questions. Okay. They have nothing to do with your business or being co-founders, but I think it's really fun. So um, let's get into it. Sweet. Um, okay. What is the grooming or beauty product you can't live without? Uh, let's see. Well, I'm currently living without it, so it, this is false. But, I mean, I just like simple like Kiehl's lotion. It has an SPF in it, as David mentioned we get outside quite a bit and it's more sunny here on the West coast than it is in the East. I don't know what it is with men and Kiehl's products because my fiance is super low maintenance. And when, if you look in his cabinet, it's literally just Kiehl's, Kiehl's I mean, I, and some weird kind of 
wax for his hair. Yeah, I have like the Aesop products, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, and like a handful of products, which almost feel too precious. I'm like, God, oh, <laughs> I don't want to. But like, there's something that is easy about the brand, and I feel like the product is great. No fluffy sense around it. it, it like feels good on, I don't know, I, on a slightly more serious note, uh, yeah, like cancer runs in the family, so want to make sure that I'm protecting myself from the sun. But yeah, it's just like a simple daily thing that I'm currently out of. So I'm totally giving slightly false information, but it's, it's one of my well, favorite. The good news is one of our old uh, cohorts at another agency we worked at does the PR for Kiehl's. So maybe he will listen to this podcast and you'll get wow. a nice package Boxes at some point. <laughs> yeah. David? Well, now my answer is going to seem a lot more vain, but uh, <laughs> I think I'm a strong believer in men wearing cologne. Um, and so there's this Tom Ford cologne that I've been wearing for years and I can be completely disheveled and totally out of it. But uh, this is the one thing that sort of helps me at least feel like my best self. That's a good one. Um, okay. What about your go-to karaoke song? Let It Be by the Beatles, just because I know all the lyrics. That's a great one. I did a Billy Idol song. Like, so I've done a couple, you know, karaoke's. There's the one that's likely at like a team holiday party where you're in a room and you're all just kind of within a safe place, a safe little <laughs> karaoke box. And I've also done one where it was just me up on stage in front of a whole bar. And <laughs> this is by no means my favorite or my go-to, but it's the most memorable because it was just so damn awkward. But it was Billy Idol dancing with myself. And it was about <laughs> 30 seconds into the song that I realized, oh my God, the only line in this song is dancing with myself. And I said it probably two <laughs> times and it, maybe it was fine, but it was just one of the most terrifying experiences um, and very memorable. <laughs> That's really funny. That's amazing. Um, what did you each have for dinner last night? I had pizza. We, yeah, we're, I mean, we're out in SF. Our grocery store missions as i'm sure everyone can attest are not as like relaxing and easy as they've been in the past mm -hmm. and my wife and i drove to trader joe's saw a line that was like completely around the block and mm -hmm. sat in the parking lot and called kind of a local pizza place and instead went and picked up pizza and ate it <laughs> well, that is the sad. best move <laughs> on a hillside in sf but yeah yeah, I'm, I'm learning how to cook. You know when you're on Netflix and you spend more time searching for a show than actually watching the show? I yeah. feel that same way now for delivery that I'm just on like these websites and then apps and I'm spending more time searching for what I want to eat than actually eating. And so a little goal of mine, like, like many others, is to cook more. The last awesome. night I think I had lamb. Good for you. Oh, wow. I mean, oh, you should, you should uh, do Porter Road, Melissa. Yeah. Lamb is really ambitious for someone who just said, I'm trying to learn how to cook. You didn't ask how it tasted, though. That's true. That's true. Well, you're still alive, so it, it, could, it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah. Um, speaking of Netflix, what's the last thing you guys watched? I was watching Ozark, like the new season. Yeah. The new one. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, it's good. It's, it's <laughs> uh, I don't want to get, I'm going to get too personal. I'm just going to, but like, since we've moved, we took the TV out of our living room. Um, and so now like the only TV that we have in our place is, uh, is in the bedroom. And so like 
the whole dynamic, I'm like, I don't like, it feels too indulgent, right? Of like sitting in bed and watching TV. So I would say like my Netflix consumption has dropped dramatically and trying to kind of replace it with, I don't know, books and other activities that are, are not horizontal in the bedroom watching TV. Yeah, and on, on my side, um, I finally started Mad Men. My first internship a while back was actually at an ad agency in New York. And so it's fun to see some of the parallels from this show to, to my experiences playing in that world for a little bit. Good one. And then our last question is, what is your favorite Instagram account to follow right now? And you cannot say The Arrivals. Ooh, that's a good question. Can I go on Instagram? Yeah. I don't know if I can cheat on this question, but I, I do feel like one, just the explore functionality, right? Like I'm constantly fascinated by just like discovering new content and also just the algorithm and how like the content that you like or engage with, like it's populating content that is you know, similar based on your patterns. And so one, I almost feel like my behavior is in effort to curate my explore towards something that I find inspirational. And I don't know if that's like a complete kind of like- No, that's actually super fascinating. And my fiance does that too. He works in um, data and tech and he's constantly playing around on Instagram to kind of see- I want to be like fed with that information. Mm -hmm. And I go, I basically bookmark it. And so now I have like styling inspo or creative inspo or kind of location inspo. Um, And so I think like it's really less about the individual profiles and me starting to build out this like library of information the part where it fails is i'm saving all this stuff but i'm never going in and looking at these bookmarks so i have like this super nice structure of all these different categories um and i'm working kind of like to be disciplined on my explore function to make sure that those are as inspirational to me as possible but i'm never actually going and looking at this stuff that's actually interesting jeff because there's a new app that we're not involved with but uh, I believe it's called List It. And if you DM them uh, locations that you see on someone's Instagram, it will actually save it for you and then email it to you a day later. So it actually formats it in a way you can. So I, I don't know if they have, that applies to uh, yeah. non-travel based, but nice. I have the same issue. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, one of my friends is, is a Nike master trainer. Uh, she's a total rock star and She's been um, putting up really great sort of at-home workouts, um, which have become super useful during this time. So Kirsty's Instagram is the one Will I... You, what, how do you spell it? Let's, let's plug her because... I know, I want to follow her. I want to follow her too. Uh, she, she's completely badass and an awesome human being. It's uh, Kirsty Godzo, K-I-R-S-T-Y-G-O-D-S-O. And I better get free training sessions out of this. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome he's also like stunning yeah inside and out this is awesome well we are so happy again that you guys found the time to do this um with us this was amazing um we really appreciate it so with that that was the partnership make sure to visit our website jenniferbet.com where you can subscribe um and you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss a show you can also follow us and learn more on our instagram handle which is melissa at the partner underscore ship 